Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. So this week is Parshat Bechukotai, which I don't think I realized until this week what a blessing it is when Behar and Bechukotai are together. <laughs> Rabbi Schatz is a huge fan of this Parsha. Oh, oh, oh uh-huh, yeah. No, I just, it, there's just not much content um, by way of anything uh, resembling the 21st century. So we, um, we picked a line, a verse, some might say, that, um, that, you know, we will, oh, very good, <laughs> that we will, um, you know, talk about inside the Parsha, as some would say, but, but also we'll kind of talk about just the general idea of this being the end of a book of Torah. Um, this is the end of the third book, and we're going to start the fourth book next week with Bamidbar, which is Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's Bar Mitzvah Parsha. Um, so we're going to kind of just, we're going to, I don't know, we're going to be a little bit more drashy with this verse today than we than we normally are. Um, so I do you want me to share my screen? Will that be easier for you? Yes, I think so. Well, you liked sharing your screen last week, and I would never want to take that away from you. Well, you're just the one who's going to talk about the Parsha, so I wasn't sure. Like, where do you want me to start? The beginning? Mm. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, here, then if you're doing that, let me do it. Why, why, then why are you sharing your screen? I just didn't know what was going to be easier with the child. How does sharing a screen, how is that impacted by having a kid on my couch watching TV? How is, how is any one of those things connected to the other? What? I don't know. Just go. The Just people go. on the okay. podcast are annoyed. Also, my neck hurts. I'm okay. doing great. Okay. Oh, there's now a feature that you can share multiple windows on. Did you know that, Rabbi Shaps? I didn't. You did? I did not. Hold on. Hold on. I want to try that. Maybe I should. Okay. All right. Okay. Jeez. Not letting me have any fun at all. Um, what a Parsha. It is definitely one of the top 15 most interesting Parshiot in one of the top five most interesting books of the Torah. Well said. Thanks. Um, a lot of the Parsha this week is focused on the, you know, Frequently cited and theologically challenging idea that if you do what you're told to do, you will be blessed. And if you do not do what you are told to do, you will be cursed, which we are not really going to be exploring today. Towards the end of the Parsha, there's a few kind of like miscellaneous chunks that get thrown out there. And we're going to be looking at like the tail end of the last topic that's explored in the Parsha. Essentially, the construct is that um, there there's this sense in the Torah, right, because we're, we're talking about an agrarian society, that certain things um, are, are gods, essentially, that the land that our our herds are not ultimately ours, right? We care for them, but they're ultimately God's. And accordingly, there are, are certain contributions that we are supposed to make uh, as offerings to God um, to to recognize sort of who the 
who who the true owner of the land, who the, who the true um, sort of source of of these gifts of life is. So towards the end, can people like really not hear the humidifier or the TV? Is it really just it's so much noise over here? I, we, can hear the TV, we can hear the TV a little bit, but it's not bad. Creative Galaxy with Artie, who's an alien, and he he tells the kids about like different art projects that they can do. Here, can I actually show? I'm going to show off my art project from earlier this week. Look at that, and it's pretty good, right? I traced the characters, I colored them in. I was very proud of Rafi. Did I make you a shadow box? They're good. Pretty good. Pretty good. I'll make you one for your birthday. Um, that we we owe a, a certain um, like different categories of stuff that we should bring to God. So um, we we get towards the end here into the sense of um, which of our animals, if you are an animal owner, you are supposed to bring before God. Um, I'll just scroll up back for a bit. We're gonna we're gonna be talking about this idea of how you yourself are not supposed to differentiate um, between one um, one animal or the other, right? And and we see this in verse ten up here, um, and we're gonna see it again a little bit later, right? That whatever the animal is that is supposed to be brought before God, that's the one. You're not supposed to differentiate it yourself. It's supposed to be something that is kind of externally um, determined. And we see it um, laid out kind of clearly here, this idea that there's there's this tithe, right? That the, the firstling of the animals, the firstborn, it doesn't belong to anyone else. It just belongs to God. Um, anything that, and, and it goes out more broadly here in verse 28, anything that you own that of, of what you own is supposed to be dedicated for God. You can't sell it. You can't like swap it. It specifically belongs to God. All tithes, right? The, the ma'asir, the, the 10%, all tithes, those belong to God. Um, and of of the ten, right? And, and you see her kind of how this might have unfolded. All tithes of the herd or flock, anything that passes under the shepherd's staff every tenth one. So if I'm a shepherd, I have a staff. I'm literally going like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, right? That that tenth one that automatically gets consecrated to God. In the second to last verse of um, of the parsha end of the book, um, offers this specifically again, that you shouldn't look out for that which is good or bad, and you shouldn't substitute for it. If you do that, if you try to swap out sheep number 10 for sheep number 6, murato. Then, in fact, both sheeps six and ten go to God. They can't be redeemed, right? So if you if you try to pull the old switcheroo, right? If you try to swap in sheep number six for sheep number ten, nah, no dice. You not only do you not get to do that, you actually then forfeit um, both of them. What I think is interesting 
two quick thoughts on that. One, this idea of sort of determining between good and bad. I'll, I'll kind of leave that, that lingering without saying too much because I want to leave room for Kushi out. Um, and also this idea of, of like claiming control and, and surrendering control, which I think is, is an interesting thematic concept to play with. I was going to, oh, Rabbi Schatz is back. It seemed like she had left and that would have been very sad, but now she's back. From outer space. Do, 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 do. And I didn't want anybody to be distracted. Um, Wait, could you say more about what you just said, uh, Matt, Rabbi Matt, about claiming control and what was the other piece you said? Seeming? Claim, claiming control and surrendering control, right? That like if, if I'm in the process of going one, two, three, five, seven, eight, nine, ten, and that's the tenth one, but I'm like looking at what's unfolding and I'm saying, oh, I, I, I want to give that sheet, not this sheet, right? That's me sort of asserting control in a way that within that system is is not what I'm supposed to be doing, right? Like what's what's in my control and what's and what's out of my control is I think something that's kind of in, in play here within this construct. Okay, thanks. All right. <clears throat> um. So let's. Oh, Tybal already has a kushi up. Great. Before I even ask for them, go ahead. Um. I'm confused, I think, because the way this is written, I'm going to use analogy. I think I thought of it because of that face of yours, Rabbi Schatz. Um, So you have a bunch of children and one is the firstborn. That's just factual. There's a separation. That one may not be the best at art making shadow boxes, which is then a, um, a different kind of distinction that depending on the criteria, it's good or bad. So starting to read this, I thought it was more like, well, once you designate this, this sacrifice or whatever it is, that's like, well, it's the firstborn. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad or you're giving something better or this kid's better at art. So it's not about control. So I think I've really missed something. The humidifier just got really loud. So I missed about Okay. Um, I, I was just based on what you were talking about. So it's going to be hard for me to answer it for you. Um, happy to hear it again. Quiet and back. Like they, they like, I'm sorry, folks. I'm doing my best over here. Well, could I, could I re, let me try it again, which is that there are different categories in life. And what it's saying is, I thought what it was saying is, Making a value judgment isn't a category that applies here because it's factual, because once something got designated, it's just designated. It's not about whether it's good or bad. But then you started talking about control and the different kinds of control. And I'm like, I'm not following. Right. Because because that's what this verse is talking about. Right. It is specifically a sign. Right. Verse 32 is saying every tenth one. And then verse 33 is if you make a substitution. If you make a choice to say, I'm going to give this one instead of that one, right? That's what the substitution is. Then there's a consequence to that. And the consequence to that is you actually lose them both. So that's, that's my understanding is that's where the control piece comes in. Verse 32 lays out how it's supposed to go, which is that you just give every 10. And then verse 33 is saying, if there is a scenario in which you assert, I want this one rather than that one, then there's the consequence for it. Ah, and I was reading it as the example of you can't make a substitution, so just deal with it. 
Right. But, but again, right. You only, you only get rules if people are doing it. Right. That presumably this was something that was happening that people were trying to do this. So then the rule comes in to say, don't do that. Yes. Yes. No, maybe. Thumbs up. Other, other kushiot thoughts on this particular verse. And again, it doesn't have to necessarily be the verse in, in its, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it's, it's technical, it's technical sense. Um, it can also be what the verse is just saying in general. Okay. Oh yeah. Paula, so, go ahead. Yeah. so a couple of things. One is everything before this has been, well, the cur- the blessings and the curse have been sevenfold. Mm-hmm. Selecting the animals and the tithing is like tenfold. And then, um, so that's interesting that the numbers are different. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I don't know why. No, and then, I hadn't thought about that, yeah. <clears throat> and then this whole idea of the good and the bad and substitution, I, I just feel like it deals with child rearing a lot when you yeah. give choices to kids and they like, they pick one and then whatever the other person has looks better at the moment and, and all those, you know, substitutions and just, I, you're saying I should implement this as a parenting technique <laughs> the next time they start arguing over who gets which cookie. No, no I don't think you should actually. Um, but I, it is just, it is interesting that, that the consequence for the substitution is, you know, they both become holy, not that, and the idea of holiness, not loss, but holiness is interesting to me. Yeah, I, so this is, Rabbi Shapiro only moderately laughed at me when I told him why I thought this was a, an interesting verse. Um, but this made me think not about children, but actually about one of the, one of the things that you're not allowed to do on Shabbat, which is called, <laughs> which is called borer, which means the separation out of something that you do want versus something you don't want. So for example, if there are peas and carrots on your plate, and you like peas, but you don't like carrots, then you can move, you, sorry, you cannot move that which you want to eat away from that which you do want to eat. You can kind of eat around the things, but on Shabbat, you're supposed to not separate out the good from the bad. Um, so that's what this initially, <clears throat> initially made me think of, because the whole reason behind that is that on Shabbat, we're supposed to just appreciate everything and be, you know, not, not be picky and not have, um, uh, I don't know, claims as to what is good and what is bad, um, because Shabbat is supposed to be a time to just recognize the creation around us and how good it is for us to to live in it. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. We're sorting part of the labor of the building of the Mishkan. Yeah, for sure. Um, just like, you know, materials, that which was good to make, that which was not um, good to, to use to build. So, the, but the second, the second thing that really caught my eye here, and this is where I'm sure Rabbi Shapiro or Rafi, who seems to be very involved in our class in the moment, um, he's watching mom, another episode of Creative Galaxy. Fantastic. Creative Galaxy. Creative Galaxy. Rafi, you want to come say hi? No, he's watching Creative Galaxy. Okay. That, um, that maybe they're, 
there is something to be said for us leading lives where we don't look out for the good versus the bad, um, but rather we just take that which is in front of us. I was teaching the Intro to Judaism class earlier this week, and um, one of the things that we were talking about is to see a person, B'Tselem Elohim. And it was the day after the, you know, the terrible shooting in Texas. And I said, it's really hard to, it, on the one hand, to see everybody made in the image of God is a very easy thing to say because you're imagining people you like. And then on the other hand, when something like that happens, it's, it's a very hard concept and very hard value um, when people can do such terrible things, which is obviously a theology that we're all, um, unfortunately, but, but aware of, uh, in our world. So it just, it struck me that there is something so powerful here about kind of looking beyond good and bad and being able to just see that which is in front of you and not making those judgments first. Um, and I, I kind of like that. I like that from the mental and spiritual health perspective. And I also like it from just a general understanding of humanity, right? You might not like a person, right? They might like rub you the wrong way, but if you don't give them a chance and you don't get to actually know them, it might just be at face value. And that's not, that's not really fair. Um, so that's, that's where my head went. There's not very much um, commentary on this by way of any of that, um, but because they're really focusing on the time, but I just, that, that's what, that's what caught my eye and made me think this was at least relevant to us in 2022. I, I see it si- similar, but different. Oh, good. That's why we teach this class together. Is it? Is that why we teach this class together? And we're entertaining, some say. I mean. <laughs> Not as entertaining as Creative Galaxy. Okay. Okay. Um, I guess I see it as I can have a very clear sense of what I think is good or bad, mm-hmm. right? Like what I might want to, right? What what the choice that I think will be good for me. Yeah. Um, and that's not always right. Right. There's there's like very much a surrender piece here in terms of you might think sheep number 10 is the best possible sheep you will ever own. And you are so resistant to right. You are. Yeah. You are. You are so reluctant to let go of it. And you don't know. Right. Right. And and you it, it reminds me of like the the Zen parable. That's something like, you know, there's there's a man who, you know, has a has a kid who's really good at, at riding a horse and people say, Oh, that's so amazing. And he says, well, we'll see. And then the kid falls off the horse and breaks, you know, he's getting older and the kid breaks his leg and it's a really bad break. And people are like, Oh, that's so terrible. And he says, well, see. And then the next year there's a war and all of the young men have to go away to war except for his son because of how he broke his leg. And everybody says, Oh, that's so, right. Like, yeah, we, we don't know what the outcomes will be down the line of what's happening in our lives. We just don't. We and it's not the same as the people that are in our lives. We don't know what the outcome of their impact for us will be. I think that's true. I think, th- I think there's a lot that we don't know. Yeah. I think, th- I think there's a lot that we don't know. Um, and so I, from like, obviously this is something that the commentators don't get into too specifically on this verse. Like Rabbi Shot said, they're much more concerned with the mechanics of, of tithing um, as I usually am myself as well. Um, 
but I, I do think there's an interesting thought here about um, the, the challenge of letting go of perceived control, right? I think this is good. I think this is bad. Guess what? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, which, which I think like any perspective taken to an extreme is not helpful, right? Like, like we do have to make choices and the, the Torah and other places tells us very strongly that we should choose between good and bad blessing and curse, right? There are times when that's a clear choice, but there are also times when we think that that's clear, but it's actually not. And, and I think this is kind of a counterbalance to that to remind us to let, let go sometimes, which interestingly dovetails a little bit with what I'm talking about in my sermon tomorrow. Wow. About mental health and building welcoming, embracing communities. So teaser for that. Good job. We'll see if I finish writing it in time. Yeah. Bonnie, oh, Bonnie's had her, Bonnie had her, Bonnie had her hand up. Bonnie then Paul. Sorry, I didn't see it. I'm just, so I, a little different tag. So that's talking about tithing. Mm-hmm. So my problem in, in where I am and how life is going and how, how do we tithe today? What is it that we bring to God? Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're not counting out. At, yes, we give money, but every tenth dollar we make, you know, or doing good things. And then how do you decide what is good and what is not good mm-hmm. and where that all ties into to how we make peace with everything? It's troubling me and causing me not good mental health. <laughs> Because because you think what what's troubling for you about it because you don't know how to do it because it feels like too much too little yeah like, I don't I don't know I can't figure out what's what's needed and where and how I can do that and and other things that that cause a stumbling block so to speak that that kind of kind of thing and and not even reaching the issue of you know, where it is numerically in a list of things or whether it's good or bad or the how bad or how good and and whether or not just giving money, you know, which is what some people do. I mean, the the so idea of tithing that often comes across is that you tithe 10% of your uh, whatever your income is and is that enough, even if you're not doing anything else to help other people. You're the meanest person in the world, but you're giving all that money. Anyway, right. I mean, that's we, where I'm troubling. Probably. And we see we see that a lot, right? Unfortunately, we know many people who have given lots of money to really wonderful things, and yet they themselves are not, you know, sadikim, right? They are not necessarily the people who are who who should be looked upon as as righteous uh, in their actions. I, uh, Tybal wrote the same thing I was thinking, you know, there's, I think there is tithing of stuff and I think there's tithing of funds, obviously. Um, but I also think that there is a certain sense and it's possible this is because the synagogue I worked at before Beth, um, didn't have Jews. Um, it was a like pay as you can model. And so we talked about it a lot in the way of tithing, um, that like you give, you give what you can based on what it means for you to give. So, you know, you specifically, Bonnie, are great with kids and storytelling and working in the library. And, like, that's for sure tithing, right? Like, you are giving of yourself 
hopefully you're also gaining for yourself, but you're giving of yourself when you could be doing other things. Um, and, and so I don't think it always, in fact, I know it doesn't always have to be monetary. It can also be, you know, time, it can be relationships, it can be, um, uh, like consulting people, right. It can, it can be something outside of yourself that I think the whole idea of tithing is just to give something of yourself that you are, are giving without any, um, expectation of it coming back, right. That you are just purely giving, um, so that that's my take on it. Uh, and I think it can seem overwhelming if you think about it as like a numerical, I have to do this much of this. And at the same time, I think it can be really powerful to know that you only do what you can when you can. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's helpful or, or all um, satisfying <laughs> to your concerns around it, but that's how I, that's how I think of it. And maybe Raj has, um, a different string cheese idea. I think that what I was thinking was just that my life has changed. And I think that's what's, I mean, I've done a lot of those kinds of things. Yeah. But I was just struck by that was what was, that was the sentence in mm-hmm. the, that we were um, paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we pay attention and give people the idea that they can give time. I don't know that that's a value that's out there for people to pick up on as much as that of giving monetarily. I don't know. Yeah. It's just a thought. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's definitely become something that is um, more valued because money has also become more difficult. (laughs) And so time has definitely become something that people take to almost the same standard as, as giving, right? When we, when we talk to the board of Temple Betham, one of the things that often Rabbi Shaver and I talk about is, you know, there, there are people on that board who can give very, very handsomely. And there are people on that board who give a lot of their time and can't give a lot of their money, but they're both equally making this shul run. And no one is sitting there saying, you're not doing enough because we don't get a big check from you every year. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Rabbi Shiva has other things to say on this. I feel like I'm. I mean, I think what I would say is we also live in a completely different economic context in pretty much every single way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Like we, we pay federal taxes, we pay state taxes, right. We make individual contributions financially and otherwise, right. Like I, I am sure there were levies, you know, that ancient Israelites paid, but um, I think when, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming people who are on this call and people who are listening pay their taxes, and if not, that's, that's a conversation between you and your CPA, uh, or or not. If you were talking to them, they'd probably tell you to pay your taxes. Um, but I do think it's also slightly different because, like, well, some of my tax money does go to supporting people in need. I don't know what percentage because I don't see uh, an invoice back from the federal or state government about how they divide up my money. Although that would actually be very interesting to see, right? Like whenever I pay my taxes, I'm always like, I wish I could allocate this, right? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't that be great if we were sort of get like, like when you go, go to the TBA webpage to like, you know, make a contribution, you can pick, 
right? You can pick where you want the money to go, like to Rabbi Shapiro's discretionary fund or to Rabbi Shapiro's discretionary fund or to Rabbi Shapiro. Like you could, you know, but like seriously, you can allocate it to a capital campaign. You can allocate it to a project that the school is doing. You can allocate it to social action, right? Like you, you can actually choose where those funds go. Um, and I've, I've, I think about that. Like whenever I pay my taxes, it's like, ah, man, I know where I wish this money was going and where I wish this money wasn't going. Um, but it's not in our hands, right? Like it's, it's not, um, something that that's within our control in the same kind of way, but there are definitely ways, um, in, in which our, our economic system has completely shifted. I'll also add in that, you know, a lot of the rules about maaser, about like tithing are very agriculturally related, right? Like about your crops and about your livestock. Um, there's plenty written. I'm not even a, a beginner on this, but I know there there is a preservation of this idea in the law codes over time. Um, and I, I agree with Rabbi Shaft in terms of how she's framing this within, within the context of not, right. Time, time is money, right? What any, anything that I'm spending my time doing is in, is inherently time that I'm not spending doing literally anything else, right? So the way in which I'm contributing my time and energy, um, and attention, you know, that's in some ways the most precious resource that there is. Um, a friend of mine, Rabbi Elon Babchuk, a couple of years ago actually wrote an article specific. I was quickly trying to Google it. I couldn't find it, but specifically framing this idea of giving generously of your time being like something that's essentially just as, as viable, if not even more so than, than writing a check, right? Be- because, you know, it's, it's more personal essentially. Um, so again, uh, similar to Rabbi Shatz, Bunny, I don't know if that responds to some of what you were raising, but that's, that's kind of my thoughts. Oh, you had your hand up a while ago. Yeah. Um, it's really the, I go back to Rabbi Dorf in the individual versus the community aspect, you know, and the tithing and the giving is all about being part of a community and what's the expectation of living in a community versus and there's this element of the individuality this is what i can do this is what is important to me that's why every time there's this like donor driven philanthropy i get really kind of um, uncomfortable about it because it's like this is what my interests are well who are you you know but the you know or so that sometimes it's like, yeah, that's your interest, but that may not be the need, you know, or you twist yourself in a pretzel because that's what you're going to get the donation for. But that's not what your needs assessment shows. That's not what your community survey shows. That's not what you know is going to affect the most change or improve people's lives the most. But that's what your donor wants. So that's what you do. So that always concerns me. But I want to go back to a couple of things that you had said, Rabbi Schatz, that were really resonated for me one is that idea of the Tselem Elohim and that sometimes we look at groups as a whole versus the individuals and I I can I have been in situations you know 
classes or, you know, organizations where as a whole, I really love being in that space. And there are particular individuals that I do not love, you know, (laughs) not, I just like, you know, they get, I just like, I have to learn to relax when they talk and I have to like, okay, this is what it is. But as a whole, I'm really committed to the group and committed to the efforts of the group, even if I'm somewhat uncomfortable with people's comments and things like that. Like we don't always agree with everything that we have here in this class. Like we're not always on the same page in terms of our opinions, but we are on the same page about, I want to hear what you have to say and how can I learn from you? Um, So I think that's really important. And I don't know how that fits into substitutions other than you can't decide what's good and what's bad, which is that segue for me, that Zen story that Rabbi um, Matt talked about. Because I personally have had really many, many negative experiences that have really helped me grow as a person and provided tremendous insight to me and more empathy and more compassion, both for myself and for other people. But I don't know that I would have arrived or achieved or that understanding without the negativity of those experiences. So in the moment, they're terrible and they're really hard. Mm -hmm. And then processing them over time is like, oh, look at that. I I see this after effect. Um, there's another Zen story about somebody carrying a person to, you know, a student and their teacher crossing a river and there's an obstacle and they have to pick, they pick up this woman and they keep take her across the river and they put her down and, you know, they're walking and walking and the, the, the student finally turns to his teacher and says, you touched a woman, you picked her up, you crossed the river holding her. And it's like, yeah, and I put her down, you know, two miles down, and you're still carrying her, mm. you know, and so for me, I like, I like that story, because there are times where I'm still carrying that woman across the river. And there are times where I really have put her down and yeah. made peace and said goodbye. Yeah. So yeah, those were just like, my reflections on what you were saying thank you yeah beautiful reflections and um and add like very very interesting dimensions to to this text but also just to to the humanity behind it in general not not just the tithing of the agriculture and the sheep but also to the humanity of it i'll point out one more thing in the in the language of the verse that i think is interesting that's that's slightly different than the way Creative Galaxy just got really loud. That's slightly different from the way that um, at least I would uh, most frequently think about it, which is the idea of holiness. Um, right, that if you see it, see it here, right, the Hayahu Utmurato Yakodesh, right, that um, usually we talk about like we should be holy, right, we elevate ourselves, we sanctify ourselves to be close to God, right, but here we also talk about holiness as separation and here too it's like it's holy means no longer your <laughs> holy holy means not yours anymore right holy in this context isn't like oh holiness closeness connection um in this in this sense holiness is sort of a, a different um 
I, I, I don't know. It's, it's not one of the top five ways that I usually think about holiness. So I think that that's also interesting through the lens of like uh, letting go a little bit. And maybe there's some, you know, a, a dimension of holiness in that, right? That I, I, and there's almost like, a, you know, one of the ways in which we talk about, about chuva is that the, the action that, that corresponds to the way in which you miss the mark should be a way of correcting it. Right. So if like, if this is a situation where I'm supposed to be able to let go and I haven't successfully let go, guess what, Matt, you now need to doubly let go. Right. And I, I just think that that's, that's an interesting kind of dance that's um, laid out later in this verse. Again, this is just me riffing on the verse. I have no rabbis to back this thought up other than Rabbi Shatz, who is allowing me to continue to talk. So I'll, I'll take that. Uh, Denise. Hi, Hi Denise. Um, okay. So half a question and half a thought. Um, when you were sharing the screen, the, the next Pasuk after the one about being holy, it says something like Feloi Vakir. Hold on. I have to make it bigger. Some on my phone. Yeah. Um, and, and it made me think of the word bakar and cattle and, and it just made me like think about, you know, just can't even explain it, but there's just this kind of circular resonance about the cattle and the sheep and choosing and using that same word to cross over to that other issue. And it just kind of shows how it's all sort of interconnected. Um, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. and then, and then what Paula was talking about made me think also, cause you see this a lot, like in universities where they go, Oh my God, you know, there's like hundreds of millions of dollars in unclaimed scholarship money every year. And, but it's all the money is like for Armenian botanists who want to become librarians afterwards or, you know, just really, really obscure. And so it's that same kind of thing where, somebody's doing the donation and it's really targeted to something that matters to them, but it's so targeted. It doesn't even apply to anyone else and no one can benefit from it. Um, and so then that makes me think like, maybe, maybe that's a reason that the Torah has it in sort of a uniform way is because those priorities could be moving targets. But if you just have like sort of a general kind of groundwork framework, um, maybe you avoid some of that. Yeah, there, there, I'll just refer to the wordplay piece for a second, if it's okay. I mean, cause just, I'll, I'll call it that Paula put in the chat, like, it looks like Bocare as well, right? It, even though it's the same, I just quickly, like, looked it up because I noticed that too, um, in looking at the verse because the, that Kufresh is a, um, familiar root. Uh, whether it's Boker Tov or Bakar in terms of livestock, it seems like this is a somewhat idiosyncratic usage, mm-hmm. uh, right? This idea of like, um, like looking out or, or searching. Um, so, you know, nev- never let a grammatical resource stop you from a clever drosh, uh, is what I always say. But, um, yeah, but but Denise, I hear you because that, there is there is that linguistic um, resonance for sure. Other thoughts, 
comments? I'll just I'll just point out, and then we can end on this if other people don't have things to say. But it, this it always strikes me how a book ends before the next one begins, and the next book actually begins by listing a lot of people um, and people's names as groups, not as individuals. And um, yesterday we have Hamalot next week, and we were talking about Bamibar um, and how we could potentially connect to the parsha. And one of the things that that we that I was uh, referring to was the fact that in mentioning the time and space in which these people were journeying and having this census taken, there are people left out, there are names not mentioned, there are no narratives about any of the people except for very few that we know um, from other stories. And it makes me wonder, you know, is is this line that we're looking at here too general at times, right? Should we actually be able to qualify some of these people, um, not necessarily in good and bad, but just like for who they are um, and to and to know them um, with qualities beyond just their name and their clan? So uh, though not connected directly, because um, that's most likely not how the Torah was written, I found that very interesting to see this, um, to see this line of not distinguishing between good and bad, and then reading a list of hundreds and hundreds of names for a census, uh, and not really knowing much about them. And so just taking kind of at face value that these were the people who were journeying, and that's it. Uh, nothing else about who they were or what they were doing or what their um, what their you know impact was in the world uh, during their lives. So I just wanted to to share that as a bridge into the next parsha. Is that a hand, Rabbi Shapiro? There's one more thing I was wanting to say, but then there's another another very important thing I wanted to say, which is that Paula did some very quick work on Safaria, I think. And found that even Ezra connects this Yivakir with Boker. So Great. Paula anticipated uh even Ezra, Yasher Koach, Paula. Um there's there's always room for interpretation. Um I was just gonna say one more thing, which is that you know, I made I made the discretionary fun joke, which eh, it feels a little gross. Um, but part of it is because, you know, of, of course I want to be able to support, like, the people and causes that I care about, right? Like sending people to Israel or contributing to Hias or whatever, wherever those funds might go. But I also think my experience has been that that a couple of people referred to the role of community in giving, Right, that we one of the ways that we build community is by giving, and I think that that's very true. And I guess I'll say it like this: when people look at Beth Am and look at our beautiful sanctuary and look at our our beautiful field, um, it's easy to think, "Oh, Beth Am can fund everything they want." That's not true. We definitely can't. Right? Like we still have an annual budget that we need to stick to. That's true. And my experience has been from what I've seen, and I hope that this bears out. And if you individually yourself or know of someone for whom this isn't in the case, I hope, I hope to hear about it, that most of the time when there is a real need in our community, whether it's through a budget line or through a discretionary fund or through other community resources that are provided, we have been able to support people who are really in need. And I think that that's a really special thing. 
um, like just a, a microcosm of an example is this year for the Shabbaton, for the family Shabbaton. We offer, I might have said this already on, on another one of our classes, but it's, it's very sweet, so it bears repeating. Um, we invited people when they registered to the Shabbaton, we basically said, um, you know, some families need financial support to attend the Shabbaton. Some families can afford to give a little more. If you're able to give a little more to help support people who want to go on the Shabbaton, you know, you can toss in a couple of extra bucks here. And if you need financial support, let us know and we'll, we'll try to find a way to cover you so you can be there. The amount that people contributed to help other people come far exceeded the amount that people asked for. Meaning like we were able to meet the need of the people who asked the, the generosity outweighed the need. I'm under no impression that that's always going to be the case. Like, may it be so. It probably won't be. But I'm really grateful to be a part of a community where we are sensitive to each other's needs, where when the rubber hits the road, we are often able to support each other in the ways that we really need to. Um, and that does involve some some trust and some surrender, right? Like, I, that, that's what we leaned on on this verse a lot, like saying... I don't know exactly what's going to happen, right? I don't know if this is good or bad, right? I, I don't know for sure if and how my needs are going to be met, but I'm a part of a community. And when we share our resources out, hopefully more often than not, we are ultimately taken care of. Um, and that's, you know, in some ways that's aspirational, but I do feel grateful to be a part of a community where more often than not, that is the case. Um, and that doesn't happen automatically. So hopefully we'll keep, you know, per Bonnie's comment, continue to each give in the ways that we can um, so that we can support each other in the ways that we really need to. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.